0: The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. may be seated. So I, I was speaking with a neighbor last night, and I realized something that I don't think about too often. Most of you have the weekend off. I was thinking that's really something, because Saturday night for me has been many, many times kind of a stressful night. It's that night where those anxiety dreams may sometimes come. And being somebody who thinks through the little details of everything, those dreams include the little details. Going wrong, something terribly wrong in the procession, and you look down and realize you never put on your vestments. Or you're at the gospel reading and sometimes, and somehow you find out, oh wait, I'm the preacher today. <laughs> or or uh, just a crazy comedy of errors and all the things that can go wrong. And I told this to another priest one time and he just shook his head and said, oh no, the ultimate priest nightmare. You're serving in the liturgy and you suddenly realize you're naked and the bishop is in the congregation. (laughs) I thought about that and realized, wait a second, that's actually truer than we'd like to admit. We start off every week, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, from you no secrets are hid. What we're basically admitting there is God You can see everything. We're naked before you. We see Adam and Eve. After their first sin, they realized they were naked. And they they made these loincloths out of these fig leaves, which are actually fairly substantial. And they were somehow satisfied with this enough and they, they got on. But then God showed up. And suddenly the coverings they had made that they thought would suffice, meant nothing. And although they were covered with these fig leaves already, when God says, Why are you hiding? He said, I hid because I was naked. You know, you made these coverings already. But when God walks in, they just don't suffice. Because God sees through it all. Hebrews chapter 4 says, The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All are naked and exposed before Him. His word is like that sword that no matter what pretense we have, no matter what cover-up, no matter what smiling face, no matter how much we try to pretend everything is okay, I'm okay, you're okay, okay? God cuts through it all. And He sees exactly what we're made of. He sees not what other people see, not this surface game that we so often play. He sees to the very core of our being, to the heart. Now we're looking through these stories of the, the first kings of Israel, particularly King David. Before we get to David, we have King Saul. And the interesting thing about Saul is he is this king that God gave the Israelites because they were asking for a king. And he is a king who is so right on the surface of things, but when you get to the heart, he's no good. Now, Father Malcolm spoke last week on, be careful what you ask for. The people asked for a king. They wanted a king who could go before them, who they could watch, lead them into battle. Yes, they had the Lord. He was their king and he had done so well for them up till this point. But, you know, it's kind of nervous when you're following a king you can't see. They wanted a king who they could see, like all the other nations. They wanted a king who was big. And he was in front of them, and they could say, there he is, right there, that's our king. Just like everybody else has a king, we want one too. And God gave them precisely what they asked for. And he gave them a king who had all the right things on the surface, with what they could see with their eyes. So once this king had finally been selected, Samuel says, go look for him. They find Saul. When he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Shoulders about here. Everything else is bonus. That's where he is. Samuel said to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! You realize all they know about this guy Wow, he's huge. What a great king. Based on what they can see with their eyes. And that's the king God gave them. A king for them. A king according to what they were asking for. And when he's anointed king, God's spirit does come upon him. And he goes forward and wins victories under the power of God. And things look good for a while. And people start patting themselves on the back and saying, this king thing is really working out. There have been a few people who had questions up front, but after one victory, they all get, get on the bandwagon. And things are looking good. But there are these two moments in the early kingship of Saul where things begin to change. Where Saul does not fully obey the Lord. He kind of half obeys the Lord. And then when Samuel the prophet comes to challenge Saul on these issues, Saul has the gall to walk up and say, I've done what the Lord asked. And Samuel says, no, you didn't. He says, well, yes, I did. Well, mostly. Well, it was kind of like guidelines now, wasn't it? But he does not fully follow the Lord. And he doesn't follow the Lord because he is afraid. And Samuel comes through all of the pretense, through Saul's boldly walking up to the prophet and telling him a lie to his face. I'm, I've obeyed the Lord, pretending it's all well. Samuel says no. He cuts to the heart. when he reveals this part that is not true, that is not fully devoted to God. Samuel says the first time, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The next time, he says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. This king, the perfect candidate, the big guy, the champion, has been exposed by the word of God. To have a heart that is not true. And God says, I have sought out somebody better. I've found a replacement. And the kingdom is being taken and given to a better man. Well, as we begin our text today, we find that Samuel is grieving over Saul. And it even says, the Lord regrets having made him king. Now, that's a whole question in itself I'm not going to get into. What's the Lord's regret mean? How can God be sorry for something he's done? But what we can say is that the Lord's regret is different than Samuel's grief. Samuel is here grieving and the Lord says, how long will you grieve? The Lord regrets making Saul king, but this is the kind of regret that spurs him to corrective action, that makes him move and make it right and say, no, he is not the king for me. I have found another. So he says, how long will you grieve over Saul? Get up and go to Bethlehem. Go find the family of Jesse. One of his sons will be the king. What he actually says is, I have provided for myself a a king among his sons. That's the ESV which we read today. More literal Hebrew would be, I have seen a king for myself among his sons. He said to Saul, I have sought out a man after my own heart. And now he says to Samuel, I have seen him. I have looked, I have sought, I have seen this next king. I found him. And this is not a king for them. When, when Saul was being selected, it was, go, find a king for them. In a remarkable way, the Lord says now, I have found a king. I have seen a king for myself. This is my king. This is the king I have chosen. We're going to do it my way this time. I'm not just giving them what they want. I'm giving them the king I want. And so, Samuel goes to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city where David grows up, but it's already appeared in the scriptures. Bethlehem is that town where the book of Ruth takes place. In the middle of the time of the judges, a time of great disobedience, dysfunction, we see this one little pocket within the land of Israel where the law is actually being followed, where justice is actually being done. We saw that story of Ruth and of Boaz. What a blessed breath of fresh air in the midst of the dysfunction of the book of Judges. And out of Ruth and Boaz's family, their descendants, has come Jesse. And it's out of this godly family that God has seen the next king. And when Samuel comes to this town, it's so different than his approach to King Saul. King Saul, in the middle of his disobedience, walking out boldly with a smile on his face and saying, I've done what the Lord commanded, lying to the prophet of God. But now... In this holy town, the elders come with fear and trembling when they see God's prophet and they ask, do you come peaceably? There's a reverence here, a reverence for the holy God and his holy prophet. Do you come peaceably? And Samuel says, yes, peaceably. I come to offer sacrifice. Gather together, consecrate yourselves, prepare yourselves, bring Jesse and his family. So they come. And he looks and sees these seven sons of Jesse, he looks on the oldest, Eliab. He says, wow, how there is king material for you. Surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him right now. You know the definition of insanity that often gets thrown around? Doing the same thing in the same way and expecting a different result. Samuel himself is falling into it right now. He's looking on this guy. He's saying, whoa, he's big. What a great looking king. Well, I know why God brought me here. It's for this guy. Nice, God. Well played. (laughs) And then we get to the heart of the passage. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. No, Samuel, you see him. You're impressed. I am not impressed. I see more than you see. I don't just see the tall guy. I see to the core of who he is. I see his heart. He is not the king I have found. Samuel says, Okay, looks at the next. What about him? Nope. Through all seven sons. The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Do you have any more? Well, you know, there is the the youngest. He's out with the sheep. The son who was overlooked by his father. When the prophet of God came to town, he was left out with the sheep. The youngest. I'm the youngest. I understand. (laughs) This son, Samuel, doesn't see him. He sees Eliab. He sees all the other brothers. But the Lord, even when he's out there, out of the room, even when he's overlooked by his father, the Lord sees him. And the Lord sees not only that he's there, He sees to the core of who he is, and he knows, this is the king I see, I choose. So David comes, rise, anoint him, this is the one. And so in this wonderful sacramental action, Samuel takes the horn of oil and pours it upon the head of David. David. And as he does so, from that day forward, the Holy Spirit of God rushes down upon him and fills him with power. The Spirit leaves Saul and comes and rests upon David. And the next time the people of Israel are looking for a champion, the next time they're facing an enemy, his name happens to be Goliath, it's not Saul, the big guy, who steps up to save them. It's David. And David dares to fight against that giant because he trusts God with all his heart and fears nothing. And he wins against that giant because God is with him, filling him with power. He is the new king whom God has chosen. David prepares us in this moment for another king who is coming, who would be called the Messiah, the Anointed One, who would also be empowered by the Spirit of God. He would be despised and rejected by men, crucified, buried, descending into hell, and there, no one thinking a thing of him, God saw him. God saw to the heart and saw the truest heart, more full of love than has ever been seen, with a faithfulness unimaginable. And he drew him out and he lifted him up, and he made him king not only over the people of Israel, but king over the entire creation. The anointed one, the one who God has seen, because God sees all the way through to the deepest, most central part of who we are. Now this word is in some ways very uncomfortable to us, because if we ponder it, and we think about the fact that God not only saw Saul through and through, saw David through and through, saw Eliab, saw Jesus, we realize the same God sees us. And there's this profoundly uncomfortable kind of naked feeling that we can get. Kind of like in college, there were these charismatics I started running into, and they had this curious tendency of spiritual discernment. And it was like they were looking at me, And they were seeing through my charade, and I hated it. I said, they kind of give me the creeps, because it's like they can see right through me sometimes. And that's scary. Well, it is, because we spend so much time projecting images of ourselves, We go through the agonizing work of getting ourselves ready in the morning, trying to look just right, trying to act like we have it together. We come in here and we have all of our smiling faces. We spend our high school and college and beyond it trying so hard to pad our resumes to make ourselves look to somebody talented and capable. We post pictures and comments on our Facebook wall, trying to give just the image that we want of ourselves and our public face to the world. We spend so much time putting up those images. And it really is difficult for us to imagine that God just takes that sword, double-edged sword, and cuts right through it to the heart. And we're once again, after all that work, after all that effort, after all that pretense, exposed before the only one whose opinion really matters. All of our attempts to fool other people do not fool God. He sees it all. That is profoundly uncomfortable. And when we're around somebody with any kind of spiritual discernment who does that same kind of thing to us, when we try to say one thing and we know they don't buy it, it's just a small picture of what it is to stand before the all-seeing God. But if we can get over that, and I don't mean forget it, I mean accept it, I mean embrace it, if we can get over it, On the other side of that profound discomfort and embarrassment of being with a God who sees it all, there's freedom. Profound freedom to abandon that image game once and for all. To stop projecting half-truths and falsehoods to make us look good. Because, let's be honest, do you know how much of our time and energy we spend doing that? Do you know how much work it is to convince everybody that we're okay? And God doesn't even buy it. When we realize it's useless, when we realize we've been spending our entire lives sewing on fig leaves, which mean nothing the moment God walks in the room, we just stop. And we give it up. We say, fine, I'll drop the pretense, I'll drop the image, I'll stop pretending. And I will focus on that one thing that really matters, a heart that is true. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Living faithfully before him in every moment. Trusting him with every ounce of our being. If we have all the images in the world, if we project to everybody's outward senses that all is well, we have nothing. But if we have this, a heart that is true, then we have everything. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.